JSTV is now on the air. And now, for the man who can make your dreams come true, it's the one and only Freddy Krueger. Oh God, he's coming back! Yes, Freddy's back with a very special offer that may just revive some of your worst nightmares. Starting now, you can own Nightmares 1 through 4 for just $19.95 each. So you can join Freddy anytime you like. You've got the body. I've got the brain. Look for this special offer along with our three-pack collector set of Nightmares 1 through 3. Now available in this lovely package. So tell your friends. And pleasant dreams. Welcome to the world of terror. When I'm not busy embalming bodies, which isn't often, I like to relax with some good family reading. Let me introduce you to my personal library of Fangoria, the leader in horror entertainment. What a fascinatingly hideous cover of Freddy Krueger. And devilishly candid reviews of the latest horror videos. And gloriously bloody color photos from the newest Friday the 13th. They're all here in Fangoria. Can I persuade you to subscribe? Ah, oh, let the dead bodies wait. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, will return in a moment. Shocktober, New York's movie station creates a little monster. September, Shocktober, November, a little bite of the unexpected. What was that? A little vampire humor? Shocktober, it's back. It's very cool to be a ghoul. We'll be seeing you on Channel 11. Shocktober on New York's movie station. On the ABC News Magazine. 2020 with Hugh Downs and Barbara Walters. Are your kids renting a movie this weekend? Horror films like these are the most popular choice. Graphic orgies of blood and violence. And they watch 15 murders in an hour and a half. Children mesmerized. I like the uh, gore. <laughs> but are they harmless? It's always a female victim, and it's generally in a sexual context. With reports that life may now be imitating art, Bob Brown shows you what the kids are watching. VCR Horrors. Also... Horror movies, mutilation, decapitation, torture... Does that sound entertaining? More blood than a blood bank. Have we got your attention? Well, you may be sickened, but what about your kids? They seem to love every moment of today's horror films. Movies that, by comparison, make Frankenstein seem cute and cuddly. If you find this disturbing, just wait, because there is a whole other dimension. There is. Since VCRs, half of American households now have videocassette recorders. And for many children, they're a ticket to R-rated gore that the kids are too young to see at the movies. So, do you know what your children are watching? Well, parents and psychologists are very concerned. And tonight, Bob Brown will show us why. Fair warning, though, there is some graphic violence in this. But we say that for you, not your kids. They've probably already seen it. First, you were frightened by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Then you were terrorized by Halloween. And now, prepare to be pulverized, traumatized, and hospitalized by... Splatter you. I like the, uh, gore. <laughs> I love blood and guts and stuff, you know. It, it turns... I'm serious, it turns me on, you know, ever since I was a little kid. Because I love, I love the feeling of being scared, you know. Saturday afternoon matinees aren't what they used to be. To begin with, kids don't have to go to the movie theater. They can bring the movie home from the rental store. And some of the most popular kinds of tapes to watch don't resemble the old Hopalong Cassidy or Superman movies. The kids call them slasher or splatter movies. 
and they get together to watch them at gross-out parties. <laughs> The movies are extremely violent, sexually provocative, and have graphic displays of mutilation. We asked three groups of kids why the movies appeal to them. I see them with my friends, and we like see who can keep their eyes open the longest. Slumber Party Massacre. That was a classic. <laughs> this guy just goes around killing people. That's the plot of all scary movies. Kids get the movies from the horror section of the video store. Most of the violent movies are rated R and aren't supposed to be seen unless you're 17 years old. Others are made directly on videotape and bypass the rating system altogether. Video store owners say the movies are usually in their top three rental categories. Kids say it more simply. On Monday morning, the biggest attraction is a kid that's seen one of these disgusting movies of the weekend. And, I mean, the, in, in incredible detail. And then this guy takes his thrill, all right, and he goes and rams it right through the guy's eye. And everybody go, and he's got a big cry around. <gasps> and it's ridiculous, because, I mean, he's like the focal point of action for that day. While the movies may be the rage with kids, it's a different story when their parents learn about what they believed were simply horror movies. I considered myself an informed, concerned, parent and mother as we all do and I, I i had no idea that it was at the depth of this uh absolute mutilation what particularly shocks parents is the degree and repetition of gore and violence in the movie these parents are watching make them die slowly Two women are tortured for hours and then forced to watch as their male companion suffers another indescribable torturing process and is then beheaded. In this movie, Evil Dead 2, the male star is killed early in the film. But not only does he return as a spirit and appear to be killed several more times, one of the film's highlights occurs when he cuts off his own hand with a chainsaw. The female star also appears to be killed several times. How did it get to this? What happened to old-fashioned horror, the sounds and mental images of Hitchcock and the other masters? Chaz Balin is a critic, author, and publisher who specializes in this genre. His books include such titles as The Gore Score and Horror Holocaust. How are horror movies different now than they were when you were a kid? I think we've got a real impatient kind of contemporary audience now that's Why? more raised on TV, that's more raised on MTV. The audience wants some noise. They want some thunder. They want the smoke machines. They want some loud rock music. And they want 15 murders in an hour and a half. They don't want to hinge a movie around two murders or three, like in a, a psycho kind of film. They want to have a body count. That may be true today, but certainly Alfred Hitchcock's films were scary and they didn't use graphic violence, even in the famous shower curtain scene from Psycho. Two films seem to have provided the impetus for productions to become more and more explicit. The first was Night of the Living Dead in 1968, and the second was the 1974 release of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Each was made for less than $200,000, and they reportedly have grossed more than $50 million apiece. The phenomenal financial success of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in particular led to a glut of Hollywood filmmakers, including several pornographers, moving into the horror field. They'd taken that same formula and instead of those explicit sex shots, they substitute women being killed and murdered by men. And stories of members of organized crime wanting in on the action have also surfaced. In fact, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was distributed by a company headed by Louis Perino. Not only was Perino the producer and distributor of the porn hit Deep Throat, he is also considered by police to be an operative of the Joseph Colombo Mafia family. Texas Chainsaw Massacre and its sequel, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, are still two of the biggest hits in the video rental market. It is the explosion of that video rental market that fuels the modern horror film. But even with all the violence, it's still only acting and special effects. So if kids like it, which they obviously do, 
What's wrong with making the violent films? Often they're seeing slasher movies that um, the central plot is based on rapes and, and chases with women being pursued with buzz saws and drills and being brutalized, raped, murdered, and parents don't realize that. Dr. Dan Lintz is a psychology professor at UCLA and has co-authored a book on violence and behavior patterns. The reason that we undertook these studies to begin with was because we feared that people were getting desensitized to the violence in these films, particularly violence against women. And the results of his four-year study show that people were affected by the movies, particularly in their attitudes toward women in real life. When we put them in a situation where they had to make a judgment about a female victim in another context, let's say a rape victim or a victim of battering, we found that those people that were exposed to these teenage slasher films were less sensitive to that victim than were subjects who were exposed to other kinds of films or who were exposed to no films at all. This is it. Here we go. Nice, nice, nice. Right Linnea Quigley is currently one of the leading females in horror movies. She's posing here for the poster of her next film, Tantalizer. And her roles do seem to have a common thread. I've uh, been buried alive in mud. I've been victimized. I've been beat up. I've been impaled on antlers. I've been eaten by monsters. I've had zombies attack me. Uh, just about everything that could happen has. And even a few of the kids we talked to are concerned about women usually being portrayed as the victims. Why does it always have to be women being killed? Why couldn't it be men? So that's the whole point. I hate it because I always kept that in mind of like, why always women? But by far, most of the kids told us that parents and psychologists are overreacting. That it's just in the movies. A lot of times the women are the victims because I guess Women are supposed to be, you know, so fragile and so scared and everything, but it doesn't bother me, you know. To sort of isolate movies as, you know, a major desensitizer of kids uh, is, is probably giving it uh, more impact than it deserves. Andy Pfeiffer heads Empire Productions, one of the largest makers of horror films and risque videos. In terms of our films, they, the violence is largely tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> Walter Justin is the owner of Paragon Films, a new company that has had commercial and critical success with two horror movies, including Witchboard. It's a changing world. I don't think we're showing anything in our films that are, uh, that is um, worse than anything they're going to see on the news or on the street. The difference is, I think, that with the slasher film, what you have is this preponderance of violent images against women. In the news, the victims tend to be spread across many aspects of society within certain strata of society, males and females alike, black and white. In slasher films, it's always a female victim and is generally in a sexual context. You have a son, right, who is still fairly young. Yes, he's five. Um, at what point would you want him to start watching some of these films? He has seen all of our films to date. We don't feel he's seen anything that is uh, jarring enough to to scar him for life or anything so to speak but the district attorney in boston massachusetts newman flanagan thinks five-year-olds are too young to see these films and he has a reason last november a five-year-old boy assisted by a three-year-old friend stabbed a two-year-old girl 17 times with a knife they talked to their parents and the, the police officers after the incident and they told them uh, uh, that they were talking about the Friday the 13th and Freddy Krueger and, and the type of knife uh, that, that, that was used. And uh, here's a five-year-old that when they brought out knives, he said, that's the type knife, that's the knife that we used. And they because of their ages, the boys could not be prosecuted. The two-year-old girl is recovering. In tiny Beckville, Texas, the story had a different ending. Last May, at a graduation party for seniors from Beckville High, students were drinking beer and whiskey at a classmate's home. Some were watching a video called Faces of Death, which purports to show not fictional, but actual recordings of violent deaths. Two of the students disappeared from the party. They were David Metcalf and Teresa Ann Downing. Metcalf later returned. 
But the next day, Teresa Ann Downing's body was discovered near this cemetery, not far from where the party was held, partially clothed, smothered, and beaten to death. Metcalf originally confessed to the murder and then recanted his confession. He has pleaded not guilty and is awaiting trial. Police believe drinking probably had more to do with the crime than the video. But interestingly, in his high school yearbook, Metcalf lists his favorite movie as Faces of Death. There were moves underway in several state legislatures to require that all videos display prominently a rating that describes their content. And many parents also want a better definition of R-rated. We would like the Motion Picture Association to consider a further category of the R rating. We would call it RV, and that would classify a film as being rated R because of its sexually violent or extremely violent content. The bottom line is that even if new rating requirements are put into place, it's a voluntary system, and it isn't against the law for stores to continue to rent these violent videos to children. And it's also an issue on which a mother and her child continue to disagree. Even if the films have special effects and we all know that they're not real in a child's perception or in, a, in an adult's perception, we're still dealing with repeated violent acts and the association of sex and violence that may make us more callous to those acts committed in real life. You can't just say, okay, you can't see it and you can. Because, you know, some people, they're 25 and, you know, they can't mentally handle these killings. And, you know, some people when they're three years old can see a rated R movie and know that it's not real and just have it be there and be entertaining and scary at the same time, but not be, you know, completely inappropriate. <laughs> what a bright child. Children are very wise. I guess in some ways that increases a parent's it, responsibility. I can see why, yeah. A couple of questions, Bob. Can children rent these cassettes, any cassettes from these rental places? Well, it's against the rules if it's rated R, but it's not against the law, so the answer is yes. And many of the video stores, in fact, are staffed by, um, by teenagers during, during the weekends or after hours, so it's very easy for children to walk in and, and rent a video. The other thing is when you rent these, you know what you're renting maybe, but, but when it comes to the box, it's pretty plain. It just has the title. And uh, how can a, a parent, or anyone renting for that matter, know exactly what the content is. If the motion picture has been in theatrical release, it'll have its rating right on the box. If it was never released in theaters, it won't have a rating at all. So in that case, I would say a parent should look at the title, and if it has no rating, they might want to um, find out more about it before they let a child watch it. Thank you, Bob. Soon, dear. It's almost time. True love can be hard to find. For some, it takes a lifetime. For him, it took a thousand years. God bless you. And now that he's finally found her, he's going to love her. I'm back. To death. But trauma is from the ancient Latin, uh, Virgil, book two of the Aeneid. It means excellence on celluloid. Trauma was formed in 1974, way back in 1974, when Michael Herz and I decided that we would make movies that were on the cutting edge of uh, the film industry. So the first movie that was actually distributed by trauma was a film called Sugar Cookies with uh, Mary Warrenov and uh, the lovely Monique Van Voren. Usually we come up with an interesting topic from the newspapers toxic waste, the fact that uh, nuclear power plants are built poorly, the fact that women hate men.
So we open up one of the trade magazines, which will go nameless, and it says in banner headlines, horror films are dead. So Michael Hers and I say, Eureka, this is for us. We're going to make a horror film. So we think and we think and we ponder and we decided that we would try to put the comedy format into the horror genre and uh, the Toxic Avenger Part 1 was born. I think the key to, uh, to trauma is that there's comedy. Comedy is our beat and it just happens that uh, there are people getting their heads ripped off and put into meat blenders or whatever. Recently, I hate to say this, but recently there have been protests because there has not been enough bad taste in the trauma movies. We believe that there is indeed a double standard. The MPAA seems to be much tougher with trauma movies. They seem to disembowel the trauma movie and let the, the bigger studios movies uh, have people with their heads being blown off. We can make entertaining original movies on a modest budget and aim them at a, a loyal audience. Um, there will be theaters who will show our movies. We keep accumulating negatives in our library so that Troma now has 80 some odd movies. In the same way that MGM has, uh, uh, what are they, MGM I think has about 83 movies. But um, uh, they've got Gone with the Wind. They got gems in their negative. We have the Toxic Avenger, we've got other gems. But that library in, sense, in the sense of business is very valuable. And um, uh, even my mother thinks it's valuable. So. Now, now uh, these are the trauma editing facilities. The, under the quiet and watchful eye of Michael Hers and I, the editors work here to edit movies like The Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High was edited here, the uh, beautiful Fortress of America, which is premiering at Cannes next month, edited right here. Now, let's see what they're doing. All right, now, um, the main thing here is we've got to start thinking about the opticals. The opticals. Opticals, right? We, we, the stickers? Yes, we use stickers a lot, but the opticals are more important. Well, so, we, can so, we can optical this out. So. All right, that's the, the key, yeah. High tech, high tech. So you've got the editors. Uh, what do you think? We have about 30-some-odd full-time employees, full-time Tromites. Troma is now releasing about 12 movies a year. Hopefully, we will continue to make original, entertaining, and uh, forward-looking movies. Uh, comedy is our beat. So 10 years from now, I suspect you'll see Troma making comedies. Rabbit Grannies. Now, there's, there's a trauma release. Uh, Michael Hers and I didn't direct this film. This is a movie that we found at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. Actually, Michael Hers saw it. And um, the director, Emmanuel Kervin, is a very talented young fellow. Uh, and uh, it's about a, uh, uh, some grandmothers who just love their grandchildren and uh, have them for dinner frequently. In terms of dollars and cents, clearly the Toxic Avenger cycle in the same way that Richard Wagner had the ring cycle, the Toxic Avenger cycle has, I would say, been the most, most successful. For instance, Toxic Part 2 with the wheelchair, where the fellow gets squished in the wheelchair. That originally started as just a minor event. And then it, through rehearsals, we kept building on it. And we just took the thing as far as it could possibly go.
Yes, the uh, rumor about the, the Toxic Avenger cartoon series is indeed correct. Uh, Michael Herz recently signed a deal with uh, a very prestigious company that uh, does Saturday morning cartoons. And, uh, they do uh, Strawberry Shortcake and Berenson Bears, and they have licensed the Toxic, the, the, the Toxic Avenger for a cartoon show. Well, the first advice to young gorehounds would be, to, uh, Shakespeare said it, to thine own self be true. Do what your spirit tells you. I personally would, if I set out to do uh, Hamlet, it would come out looking like uh, the class of Newcomb High Part II. Uh, it's, it, you have to do what is in your heart and soul, and that's the key. Whatever comes out, that's the best way to work, I think. Guys, ladies, the uh, Troma team would, is very grateful to the Gorgon viewers for uh, supporting our movies all these years. And uh, we wish you all the best of luck. Thank you for visiting us. And uh, goodbye. So long. Bye. 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 We need this on set. Oh, bye. bye. Those two-bit burglars couldn't burgle their way out of a paper bag. Now, Ron is very excited because it's viewer mail night tonight. And I want to thank each and every one of you for the thousands and thousands of letters that Rhonda's been receiving. They're outrageous. They're fun. And Rhonda reads each and every one of them personally. I only get to read a few of them on the air, but they're all outrageous. And Rhonda will continue to read them all and answer. Wow, here's an interesting little item. Wait a minute. These are all addressed to me. This one's addressed to Pinhead. Why? I'm sorry. Why are you calling me a pinhead? Well, let me see what it is. Maybe I think it has something to do with my last hairdo or something. What's this? Doesn't sound like a jewelry box. Hmm. Rhonda's going to have to figure this out. Well, why, out. why are you calling me a pinhead out there? Rhonda's not a pinhead. What is this? Well, it's Rhonda the friendliest flirt, and I'll be right back with you. Just stick with me, okay? Just can't figure this box out. It's really heavy. There's got to be jewelry in it. Rhonda has to open this. I just have to open this. <laughs> well, coming up in this next segment, believe it or not, a Richard Simmons wannabe. Back to Glitch with your favorite girly girl on USA. Up all night. Gotta be a good luck charm. That's what it is, a good luck charm. Maybe Rhonda can wear it. Call it a hunch. But I bet bodyguard Brucey could help those two out of the closet. Hmm, Rhonda didn't order pizza. Playing tricks. Right, Pinhead? In the flesh and at your service. Wow. I'd offer you something to eat, but all I have is pizza and it might get stuck or something. Thank you. I ate earlier. You have something of mine that I would like. Really? I wasn't thinking of that. I could enjoy your flesh, but I don't think the viewers would like to see. You'd be surprised what Rhonda's viewers want to see. Maybe not, but the box. A puzzle box. This little box? I, I thought it was a jewelry box. What it contains might pierce your flesh, but not in the way you're thinking. Well, most of my male admirers send Rhonda jewelry, but... Uh, okay, well, this is going to take a, a little while to figure out. Um, do you have a minute? I have all eternity. Wow. Yikes. Okay, we're going back to Glitch on USA Up! all night and Rhonda will figure it out with Pinhead.
Okay, it is against my better judgment, because I can't stand guys who are Indian givers, but here's your box. Thank you, Rhonda. Believe me, it's better this way, but I'll see you in hell. You sweet talker, you. Oh, well, I guess it'll be a while before Rhonda gets to see Pinhead again in person. But we can all see him right now in Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, because it opened today all over the country. Gee, I wish I would have asked him for his autograph. Oh, well, Rhonda will be right back with more of USA Up all night right after this. Yes. I don't think very much of this summer cottage you, you rented for us. <laughs> I don't understand it. The ad looks so good in the paper. What paper was that? The Vampire Weekly. The Vampire Weekly? It does look kind of big for just the two of us. <gasps> uh, the three of us. Uh, four of us. Well... At least we won't be lonely. <laughs> someone's, someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. I bet it's not the welcome wagon. <laughs> yep, it's not the welcome wagon. <laughs> Excuse me, but do you have a room for the night? You see, the road has washed out, and my horse had a flat tire. Uh, 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 maybe I... Uh, I must tell you, I am not alone. I am traveling with my beautiful assistant and a hideously deformed monster. Oh, hideously deformed is right. Watch it. I'm the beautiful assistant. Oh, boy. Master, I've left Hulko in the coach. Hulko? Good, good. <laughs> and now I must ask, can you tell me what time it is? Uh, oh, golly, my hourglass seems to have stopped. Oh, this is terrible, oh, terrible. We're in trouble. Why is that? Because every night at the stroke of midnight, the master turns into a screaming, maniacal, demonic, raging, bloodlusting animal. And then I get me. <laughs> we do. Quickly, quickly, prepare a dungeon. Chains, manacles, bind me. Uh, no, it's too late. It's midnight. No. Uh oh, no, something's different. Oh, quick! What night is it? New Year's Eve! Oh, no! This is too cruel, too inhuman! What? What? What is what? Tell, tell, what, what? On New Year's Eve, the master turns into Jack Parnell. <laughs> You could call him Mr. Halloween. John Carpenter directs movies that strike fear into the hearts of millions. With Lee Cowan, we journey into the mind of a master of horror. Even on a bright Southern California day, this otherwise cheerful house feels sinister. Thanks to that hauntingly familiar theme echoing from somewhere inside. John Carpenter was just a few years out of USC film school when he composed it to add melodic malevolence to his classic Halloween. It's that sort of repetition and the audience is kind of waiting for something to change. It's putting you on uh, your nerves. 
uh, like, what is going on? Let, let's get this thing changing. Come on now, stop this repeating over and over and over. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he seems benign enough at 69, but remember, Carpenter also wrote and directed the film too, unleashing Michael Myers to the world. You can't kill the boogeyman. <laughs> I wanted the audience not to know whether he was human or supernatural. And he had no character. He was blank. He was simply evil. He's like the wind. He's out there. He's going to get you. And that's what's the most terrifying. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. It's what you don't know about, what you can't see. It's out there. Released almost 40 years ago, Halloween not only launched Jamie Lee Curtis to start it made Carpenter the king of things that go bump in the night. I'm just this kid with long hair trying to make a movie with a bunch of cute actresses, that's all. But look what came out of it, though. It looks great. I was lucky. It was fun. God, it was fun. The critics weren't enthusiastic at first, but word of mouth soon spread and it became one of the most profitable independent films of its time. I remember this famous screening where I got to, to, to sit outside and listen to the audience scream at Halloween. It was like a symphony. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. They screamed at all the places I wanted them to scream. And I thought, oh man, that's something. There have been so many Halloween sequels, it's hard to count. My idea was that we should never make a sequel to the original Halloween. You never wanted to. No story left. There was nothing left to say. Boy, was I wrong, huh? <laughs> Carpenter is long past being asked what scares him. But he always seemed to tap into what scared us, whether it was death lurking in the fog. Possessed Plymouth in Christine, or Evil Awakened in Prince of Darkness. And he composed the themes for all. I was going to say, I mean, most people. Directing a film is enough work, let alone scoring one on top of it. Shows you how stupid I am. <laughs> In fact, there are so many, he's put them on a new movie theme album called Anthology, and he's about to head out on tour. Despite it all, though, he has one more score yet to write. The one to what he insists will be the last Halloween sequel. He's executive producing, and he's bringing Jamie Lee Curtis back as well. Can you give us a little sneak? No, I'm not going to give you anything. A little, no, just no. a little something? It's pretending the other sequels didn't happen. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. It's hard to take a classic and make it better. But if anyone can, it's John Carpenter, who, like his name implies, builds the scariest moments piece by piece. But let's our imagination drive the nail in the coffin. Across this great nation, almost everyone has been affected in one way or another by this terrible tomato onslaught. Mrs. Williams, I understand your husband is missing. Yes, Do you he think is. he's dead? Well, I, I Will don't. you miss him? Well, Will you marry again? <laughs> what if he's laying in a ditch somewhere like, with both his legs <laughs> calling your name? You will have to find another man, you know. You're no spring chicken. Lives are, are shattered. The nation is in chaos. Death and destruction sweeps the country. Foursquare Productions presents perhaps the funniest film ever made. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Attack, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. You've never seen a film like it. This is the incredible story of the world's ultimate disaster. Vicious man-eating tomatoes grow to monstrous proportions. Faced with this unprecedented menace, the president calls upon Mason Dixon, special agent. Aided by his trusty sidekick, Dixon begins to unravel the terrifying mystery of the deadly tomatoes. 
Dixon is getting close, too close for someone or something. Who could it be? The girl reporter? The ad executive? The press secretary? Or does it go higher? Join Mason Dixon in a race against time as he battles to save the world from the threat of nature's perfect eating machine, the killer tomato. Ain't no time to make a fuss. We gotta get those tomatoes before they get us. The Killer Tomatoes. You've never seen anything like it. It was horrible. The worst show I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Blood, guts, body parts flying everywhere. I'm disgusted. Can't believe you put this on television. It's so disgusting. There were body parts flying everywhere. Disgusting, and I can't believe you people would even think of putting it on television. I, I want to throw up right now. If you like to vomit, have we got a show for you? Watch Drive In Reviews tonight at midnight here at Comedy Central. Here's what some people had to say about Comedy Central's new show, Drive In Reviews. I'm gonna write my congressman today. I thought it was the most unprofessional piece of garbage since Ishtar. I'd rather watch Conan O'Brien. It's just the worst thing on TV since Chevy Chase, okay? I don't even know why you put it on TV. Okay, we got a liftoff. Yeah. <laughs> don't see this show, it's horrible. I, I don't know why you produced this crap. Watch Drive-In Reviews tonight at midnight here at Comedy Central. Something's coming. Something fierce. Something frightening. Something furry. The most popular home video stars of 1986 are back. And Grover's Bend is bursting at the seams with terror. Critters 2, the main course, is coming on video cassette, and your customers will be running to get their hands on it. Inquiring minds want to know. Critters 1 recently scored high ratings in prime time syndication across the country, and this blend of high-tech horror and off-the-wall wit is just what they're screaming for. Critters 1 was the appetizer. But they'll break down your doors for Quitters 2, the main course. Rolling your way for Halloween, only from RCA Columbia Pictures Home Video. Coming soon to Video Cassette. Based on the short story by Stephen King, the master of horror. The terror began in the fields. Then it grew stronger. Now, evil is about to show its face once again. Bill and Amanda Porter have just adopted two boys from the country. Modest dress is the surest way to a pious life. They seemed like nice boys. Let us give thanks to he who walks behind the rose. Don't worry about it. We'll get the hang of this. But the porters have no idea <laughs> who they've just taken into their home. for the third and most terrifying chapter. 
Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Like my pa always said, you reap what you sow. This neighborhood is a house where souls never rest. You're invited to share their secrets. I've been waiting for you, boys. You're invited to share their tales. Unless, of course, you're scared. Tales of madness. <laughs> of revenge. The dolls don't want you there. They want of horror. He thinks he needs to kill the monster. Now, your most terrifying nightmare and your most frightening reality are about to meet on the streets. And this is a trip, homie. Only nothing from no house of dead folks, okay? Death. It comes in many strange packages. The producer of Menace to Society and executive producer Spike Lee will take you to the outer limits of the inner city. Welcome to hell! <laughs> Tales from the Hood. Chill. Or be chilled. Hey man, I don't need to be hearing this, man. Written and produced by Darren Scott. Written and directed by Rusty Cunder. Next time you see an exploded head spilling brains and cranial fluid into the gutter, just tell yourself, it's only special effects. You see, not everyone is fortunate enough to be born as I was. There aren't any real monsters. Unless, of course, you count the backroom bizarros who mix the rubber and gore for the movies. Well, I was 12, 13, I think, and I saw a movie called Man of a Thousand Faces. The story. Some part of the magic that I had been seeing as a child. <laughs> Just a very Lots of people were doing them, but uh, if you believe what you read, mine were the most realistic or the most imaginative or the most creative, and I, I think it's because uh, of what I saw in Vietnam as a combat photographer. I mean, I was doing effects way before uh, uh, Vietnam, but, uh, and some people say, uh, think that Vietnam was why I got into the field, which is not true. But uh, being in Vietnam and seeing the real thing, sometimes there was an expression on a cadaver, uh, a, a, or a position of the body. Not a thing, Wilma. Everything's just fine. I used to get a lot of slack on how many women were killed in, in the movies that I did. Because I was called sick and demented uh, in lots of articles, and I have to remind these people, you know, I don't write this stuff. My job is to take the script and make what's in it as realistic as possible. I've done so many effects films for some directors who don't know how to shoot effects and understand that it's magic tricks. You have to show something in the scene before the effect happens to make the effect valuable. Like a, you show a real axe smashing through a wall to give the axe some validity, some, some lethal, uh, some strength before you have the rubber axe hit somebody. Because then the rubber axe is scary, you know? Well, George Romero, uh, I've done, I think, eight films for George. We've, we've done them all in Pittsburgh except for a two-week stint during Day of the Dead where we went to Florida to film the beach scenes. We don't have any beaches here in Pittsburgh. The effects in that, I, I won the Saturn Award for that film. The effects to me were, were really illusions, were really magic tricks. If you've ever seen that, the guy lying, the head, that was just a brain sticking in there. It was a real actor I was on, you know, and his head was bent way back on the table. Even Dick Smith said, how did you do that? And I told him it was a real person. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that you could bend a head back that far. He's much more creative than he is technical. He'll look for... Uh, a way to solve things with, you know, what he's got here at hand rather than start thinking about morphing or, you know, electronics. Working with George is, uh, is, is wonderful because he does the same thing with effects that he does with actors. He'll allow them to improvise and say it their own way. Effects, the same thing. He'll let us, uh, we'll sit around and we'll, we'll invent ways to kill people, like on uh, Dawn of the Dead. 
and we'll go to Jordan and say, how about if we take a, a, a screwdriver and drive it in some zombie's ear? And he'll go, okay. <laughs> Creepshow was uh, one of the best films I've done uh, for George. Lots of juicy effects. It was just me and an assistant uh, that uh, created all that stuff in very little time. So I'm very proud of that. In fact, every time we cast somebody's head, we always say that the best subject we ever had was E.G. Marshall. And he was very old at the time and free, and we thought he would be claustrophobic and complain, you know. I've had people whimper under the life cast. And we made a head cast of him, and um, we built it in rubber, as you see, with a fiberglass backing. It's hollow. And um, we had these large syringes that were filled with, by the entomologists with cockroaches. And um, <clears throat> from beneath the set, they would just pull, press the plunger of the, uh, of the syringe, and it would force cockroaches to come up. And his chest was uh, toilet paper. We made it up to look like his skin. And of course, when the roaches were getting toward it, uh, uh, they were forced through the toilet paper. And we at the same time pumped blood on the roaches. So when they came out, they would be covered with blood, and they would leave little roach footprints all over E.G. Marshall. I was never in the same room with the cockroach. We had 28,000 roaches. I was always outside the sealed room looking through a piece of glass. OK, cue the blood, cue the roaches. And I was never in the same room with those roaches. One time, one accidentally touched me on my hand, and I appeared. I don't remember running, but I, I felt like I appeared on the other side of the room. You know? I have this urge every now and then that I have to scare somebody. It's like, a, it's like an addiction. I'm not, I'm not an addict. I don't take drugs. But I need that shot in the arm every now and then of scaring somebody real bad. So I'll be lying in bed, and she'll go down to or my girlfriend or my daughter would go down and get something to drink. And while she's gone, the urge will come. So I'll go and I'll get this fake head of myself and stick it in the bed and build up the pillows around me and pull the covers up like I'm still lying there watching television. And I go hide in the closet. So I'll wait until they come back. And now as far as they're concerned, I'm still in the bed. So I wait for them to sit down back in the bed and start eating or drinking what they went down for. And I'll loom out of the closet from the ground up like that. And I, my daughter would, her, the food would fly up in there and she'll scream and fly backwards. And I got the exact same response. It's incredible from my girlfriend. They fly backwards and scream in this helpless uh, moral reflex. You know the moral reflex where the hands come up? Same thing. Now, I, this may sound very strange, and I may seem like a sadist, but it's <laughs> the reward of that scare is incredible. A hulking and deeply ungracious retard in a hockey mask, a deep-fried child murderer with terrible clothes sense. Eternal. The box. You opened it. We came. It's just a bottle box! Oh no. It is a means to summon us. First Hellraiser movie was made with a, a marvelous producer, Christopher Figg, who had not produced a movie, but then I hadn't directed one, so we were sort of, we were uh, bomb. A man who did this. We shot it in Dollis Hill, uh, and uh, I was at that point blessed with um, an actor in uh, Doug Bradley to embody Pinhead, the villain of the piece, who only appears for a very short time in the first picture. I was planning it as a sort of vehicle for this otherworldly entity. We have such sights to show you. Young men in their 20s who had had severe nightmares had um, been afraid to sleep after that, and when they did sleep the next time, they died. And I just said, wow, this is an incredible story. Here's a person that perceives a truth that is so unique uh, and so threatening to everybody, because nobody wants to admit that we can be attacked in our dreams. <laughs> it then became just a matter of figuring out who is the killer in the dream, and. Uh, and what are his motivations. And uh, then I began to piece together this idea of Freddy Krueger's character, who was uh, a completely despicable and heinous person, but who had been killed in a completely illegal and immoral way himself. <laughs> yes, sir. The souls of the children. Give me strength. I was flat broke. Uh, Friday the 13th was meant and expected to be a pot boiler. Uh, I thought that the two children films I was doing on were going to be the very successful films. And finally, I, uh, well, I was trying to think of a different title for one of the children's films. I came up with the title Friday the 13th. I said, Friday the 13th. If I had a picture called Friday the 13th, I could sell that. 
what I wound up doing is on the 4th of July, I took out this full-page ad in Variety and said, from the producer of Last House on the Left comes the most terrifying film ever made, Friday the 13th. <laughs> we didn't have anything. All we had was this title treatment. And uh, we were sitting around a kitchen table, Victor Miller and I, um, saying things like, hmm, well, what do you think scary? How are we going to make this, this movie actually work? Because we don't have a lot of money and, and so on. And we just sort of invented it as we went along. Um, but I, I got a phone call from a guy named Sean Cunningham um, about doing this movie called Friday the 13th. He sent me the script. I broke it down. I went to visit him in uh, uh, Connecticut. And there, was not, there wasn't an ending to the film in the, in the script. They, had, uh, uh, they were going to do something. They didn't know quite what yet. And uh, so I invented the ending uh, for, the, for, the, for the Jason character. And that's why you see Jason in the film. He pops up at the end, you know. And of course, uh, I, was, I turned down part two because Jason uh, was alive in the story. And I'm thinking, well, he, he was never alive. It was the mother who was the killer. This is all we're going to change that. But I turned around anyway and did the burning. And of course, the movie came out, and there was Jason, and there's been Jason ever since. One of the curses of. of yes, they are franchise movies. I mean, you know, Jason's become like a merchandising phenomenon, just like Freddy Krueger, just like Pinhead. Um, so what? I mean, I go in expecting a certain formula. I expect to hear the kill, kill, kills on the soundtrack. I want to see sort of Jason revived in another ludicrous way. Freddie's commercial success and sort of personal um, success was a big surprise to me. I never would have guessed that. Uh, I knew I was constructing a character that was powerful and very frightening, but um, I never guessed that it would be embraced by children, for instance. I get fan letters from six-year-olds saying, we love Freddy, you know. Great graphics. I always think that kids left on their own are, are you know, the best that we have, and they're uncorrupted. So that uh, what, whatever they're doing with Freddy, it doesn't mean they're going to go out and claw their little sister to death. It probably means that uh, there are certain things about Freddy that are positive to them. One thing, Freddy uh, always tells the truth. Dr. Seuss. Freddy's become a good guy. I, I saw one of, one of them in the States, and the audience, when he comes out, they're cheering. He's on a skateboard, yeah, good old Freddy. And you think, well, hang on a minute, this bloke's supposed to be the villain. But I suppose, it, I suppose it's because the teenagers are so obnoxious. You, you, your sympathy is with, is with the killer. No screaming while the bus is in motion. All these other monsters were around, and Pinhead sort of broke the mold. He wasn't a one-line uh, joke meister like Freddy. He wasn't, as I say, mute like the stalk and slash villains. He mingled the fascinating and the repulsive. And out of that ambiguity came an enthusiasm on behalf of the audience, which uh, still startles me. And so with Hellraiser 3, uh, we've constructed a narrative which takes Pinhead out onto the streets of New York. The main thing to say about it, I think, is that it's a, is that it's Pinhead's story. It's a movie which, which, um, uh, which tells his tale. shalt not bow down before any graven image. And that concludes our broadcasting day. Till next time. Watch JSTV as it watches you.